recently watched this film. Have you seen it? If you haven't seen it, it's a brilliant film, and I think they, they pretty much told the story in the advert, so I'm not going to spoil it too much. But it tells the story of a little Indian boy, this beautiful little Indian boy, Saru, who uh, essentially gets lost and cut off from his mother and family in India by getting trapped on a train and taken over 2,000 miles away to Calcutta or Kolkata um, now. And it follows his life into adulthood after being orphaned by this event. And I was a sham of a man watching this film. I was a state. And on more than one occasion, my wife told me to pull it together because I was ruining (laughs) the film for her. Literally, I was streaming as this little boy frantically tried to get off the train he was on, but couldn't get anybody to open the doors. I was distressed to him as he called out for his mother. I was crying as multiple adults in Kolkata abused their positions of adulthood to try and grab and harm this little boy. And again, he was just crying out for his mother the whole time. I was distressed as the film portrayed an Indian orphanage and hundreds of children with an absolutely hopeless future. I wept some more, but with joy this time, as he was adopted by a a flipping amazing Australian couple and grew into a man in their care. Do you know, I, but then I was gripped again by him as he struggled with always feeling in his heart like something was wrong, like he had betrayed his parents and his mother in particular and his brother by getting lost. And he was always felt out of place. And then I was I, like, utterly destroyed by one of the most emotional film scenes that I've seen in years. As after 25 years using Google Earth, he finds his way back to the village he initially got lost from. Not knowing if his mother is still alive, let alone how he will be received, carrying all this guilt for as a little boy he got lost. He walks into the village and he finds his old house, which is now an animal shed. And he's just about to give up hope of ever seeing his family again, when a man sees him and finds out what he's doing there and says, just, just come with me, come with me. And as he follows and that emotional music goes in the background, you know the stuff in the film that sort of starts to get you about it. I might well up as I talk about this, just you know. <laughs> he turns a couple of corners and there before him is his mother, who's already heard the news before he gets there that his son, her son, who's been lost for 25 years, has returned. And in the film, you get this scene where just crying with absolute joy, she realises that her son, who has been lost, is alive again. And they hug and they embrace for around about five minutes in the film, kissing over and over again to the point where as an Englishman I start to go, wow, this is a bit uncomfortable, it's a bit too much, <laughs> a bit too much affection there. And as the scene fades out, the, the words come up at the end, this, Saru's mother never moved away from the village because she never gave hope, up hope that her son would return someday to her. 
this woman had the most amazing, unfaltering, unfading love and hope that her son who was lost would be returned to her. That lasted for over 25 years. I was ruined, streaming. Then just as I was starting to compose myself again and find some shred of dignity, at the end of the film, they told me that this was all a true story. Oh, what? This really, this really happened. And they showed pictures of the actual Saru being reconciled with his actual mother in real life. Uh, and that was me for the rest of the night. Shameless weeping. Uh, utterly, utterly. You know, and, and two things afterwards struck me about this story of a lost son. One was my need at age 36 to learn to control my emotions better. <laughs> but the second was how many similarities this film had with one of the most important stories Jesus ever told. The story, this is the story he tells and is recounted to us in the, the Bible, in the book of Luke, Luke 15. I'm just going to do the first half of it today, 11 to 24. And it's the story of another parent who loses a son. Only in this story, in Jesus' story, the son was older and he deliberately and cruelly rejected his father and his household. If you look here, you'll see that the story starts with the younger son asking for his inheritance early from his father. Do you know, within the culture that Jesus tells this story, it was like the son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. All I want from you is what would be mine if you were dead. So I have the means to live my life in the way that I want. Give it to me now so I can go away from you. So as I read this and as I understand it in this context, I, I myself cannot imagine anything worse that one of my three children could say to me. I don't want to be in your care, Dad. I don't want to know you, Dad. I don't want you to be a part of my life, Dad. This story starts with utter heartbreak for the father. But in this story, just as it was with the story of Saru, this rejection and separation leads to just as much loss and just as much trouble as he has in the film Lion. We read here that in Jesus' story, the son moves to a far-off land where he would be free to live his own life. And in this place, he fritters away all that his father has given him on reckless living, leaving him with nothing and totally vulnerable when a great famine hits. Do you know, in a, a previous job, one of my clients was a lad who had been left £70,000 inheritance when his dad died. And he and his girlfriend spent that £70,000 in one single year. Fancy hotels they stayed in. Holidays. Big nights out. And I kid you not, lots of trainers. Do you know, they've been stupidly foolish with what was given to them. And when it was gone, this lad ended up in my office for one, with no money, his girlfriend had left him when the tap ran out. He had no work, 
no skills to work, and he was all alone. And you know, sitting in the office with this lad, it was incredibly sad to see this young man, you know, so distraught, more than anything, over how he had spent his life, how he had spent this great gift that he'd been given, wishing he could remake decisions, vulnerable to exploitation from others in the hostel he was living in. Massively sad story as he sat before me. This is exactly the low, miserable position that Jesus is saying this son got into in his story. In fact, we're told this physician got so bad, his decisions were so foolish, that he gives his, up his freedom and becomes a slave. It's actually a little worse than, than this describes. He actually went and bonded himself, it says, to somebody in the land, a foreigner. And he ended up doing what no self-respecting man of his background and culture, Judaism, would ever do. Because it was believed to be totally unclean, dirty, impure, shameful work that would make people both unfit to be part of the Jewish community and to meet with the God of the Jews. That was working with pigs. It's hard for us to understand in our day, but in this society... This work is work that would be deeply shameful, that people would be deeply shamed by others for doing and deeply ashamed of doing themselves. Pig farmers in that culture would be the people that no one wanted to go near. Actually, for this person being a pig farmer, it would have had a bit of like a social reaction like we have in our day to people who have been convicted of a sex offence actually, explain that a bit to you. He would become, through this act of farming pigs, someone who others would want to give a wide birth to. What what did you do? I don't want to be associated with you. You're mucky. You're filthy. There would be someone who had brought shame on their family. You, You did what? With our family name, you did that. You went and worked with the pigs. And someone who would have personally seen their own behaviour as irredeemable. Do you know, I've done something expressly that my culture and my God says is wrong. I must be disgusting. That's the effect this would have had on him, on his family and in his culture. The son in this story, we have to understand, is completely lost in every sense of the word. He was far off. He had rejected his father in the most hideous way. He had squandered his life, made the most foolish decisions imaginable. And he had done things that had brought shame on himself and would bring shame on his family if anybody ever knew about them. How could this son ever go back? How could he? Gone too far, surely. But in this story that Jesus tells, just like in Lion, the son does choose to go back. We're told he came to his senses and not knowing what to expect, feeling like the best he could ever hope for in this situation was perhaps if he expressed his guilt and shame to his father. His father might just have enough kindness, just have enough forgiveness, just have enough in his heart of love for him to make him a servant and a slave in his own household, which would be better than where he was now. He makes the trek, we're told, back to see his father again. 
And then in this story, some of you know it well, the biggest similarity occurs between this story and the film Lion. As the son begins to approach his father, we're told his father does this. His father sees him in the distance and compelled by compassion, he runs. It's something that no older Jewish gentleman would have done that day. And he embraces him and he heaps kisses on him. The original word actually means kissed him many, many times over. Again, it would have been like one of those scenes that made me a little bit squirmy in my seat, just being like, oh, that's a lot of love you're expressing there. We just say, well done, son. And despite his son protesting that he's no longer worthy to be called a son because of all the things he's done, because of all the shame he's carrying, the father calls for the best robe and a ring, a signet ring to be put on his finger, which are both signs of restoration to a special place of authority and favour in his household. And he puts shoes on his feet, which was signifying that his son was not a barefoot slave anymore, but a free man again, with all the dignity that went with that. And then he went to get a fattened calf, a calf that had been set aside and prepared for the most audacious and amazing of celebrations, the most special of occasions, and he celebrated. He celebrated. This couldn't have been more far removed than what the son expected and deserved. His son that was lost to him was found again. This is remarkable in this story. Where the son had anticipated judgment, at best pity from his father, what he got was an outpouring of shocking love, affection, joy, praise, restoration, forgiveness, grace, favour and celebration from the father. Because like Saru's mother, the father had never faltered in his love and hope for his lost son. And because no matter what he had done, had been restored to him. This was all the father had ever wanted in this story. Do you know, this is a great story in itself, isn't it? Just like, I, you can't help, I think, but be moved by the love, but just as in Lion's a great story, but the, the reality is Jesus told this story for a purpose. It wasn't just a great story. And he told it to help his people and help people understand something, to teach them some things that he said were of utmost importance to understand. And those are two things, really. One, who God is and what he is like, and to help them understand what he was about, what Jesus was about, what his work was about. Let me explain these a bit. You see, in Jesus' time, just as in ours, a lot of people had got the impression that God was like a stern, angry, controlling father who made rules and then disciplined his children harshly when they failed to meet these. He was the sort of parent that even if you won the 100-metre sprint would say to you, you, you could have done better. You could have done better, couldn't you? You could have kept your knees up more. I saw that Usaini Bolt. He did it a bit faster than you. Come on. 
Do you know, uh, even if you won the Olympics, he'd be picking fault with you. I mean, maybe some of you had and have parents like this, so you understand this well. But Jesus tells the story to put the record straight on this matter, once and for all. Telling this story of a son who in his culture had done everything he could to offend and distance himself from his dad, who was completely lost, who was the biggest fool going. He shows God is not, nor has he ever been like this. No matter what people have told you, no matter what you have heard, this is not who God is. Instead, in this story, Jesus has shown that God is like a parent with unimaginable and incomparable love for you. No matter how far off you have gone from him, no matter how much you have treated him with contempt in the past, no matter what shameful acts you have committed or how filthy or failed you or others may see yourself, nor how you have spent your life so far. He is full of overwhelming compassion for you, willing to whitewash all offences, shame and wrongdoing. And he longs for you to know his rich fatherly embrace, his kisses, his affection. He longs to pour undeserved favour upon you and to give you a totally new life of blessing with access to the new riches of his household. Kathy's word was interesting, wasn't it? It's about a home. It's God speaking to us. He lost to wash away anything shameful in your life, giving you a new freedom. And he longs not to judge your failings, but celebrate. Have a massive party that you were dead to him, but now you're alive. Jesus wants, his first purpose in telling this story is that we make no mistake that this is who God is. You know, too often when people reject Christianity and God, they're actually rejecting a false idea about what Christianity is and who God is. Jesus here is saying, look, before you make your judgment on Christianity... Before you write it off, make you sure you know what it is first. Make sure you know what the deal is before you choose to buy in or opt out. You're either opting in or opting out of a God of extreme love and favour for your life. His first purpose is, understand who God is. So understand who it is you're making a decision for or against. But there's something more. There's a second purpose in this, like I said. As well as understanding this about God in this story, Jesus also wants us to understand something about him, specifically as he tells this story, namely this, that Jesus' cross, which was the primary point and purpose of his mission on earth, that he came to die and be resurrected again, equals this loving embrace of the Father. This is the way, this cross is the way in real terms, that God has embraced us like the Father. Did anyone see Bobby Firmino's baptism recently? Yeah? Where Alison got to baptise him. That's what these, they were wearing to help those people. They were all wearing t-shirts with this simple symbol on it. 
If you've not seen it, it's a great, it's a great video. They don't actually need baptismals because they've all got swimming pools in their home. It would make, make the whole setup here for Phil so much easier. Like, I think he was here for like four hours draining our baptismal. But that's what it means. That's what they were expressing. That's what they were saying. We have understood and why we're getting baptised because the cross equals the Father's love and embrace. You know, in real-world terms, the cross is the way in history that God has run to a world that is lost from him, full of compassion and love, to embrace it and to kiss it, and to give those who come to it a new life in him. It's by coming to this raggedy old cross, understanding and trusting what it means, which is the gateway to moving from our crumbling far-off, runaway lives into the new life he has for us, into his home and into his presence. Do you know, a great verse that explains this is John three sixteen to 18. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but in order that, we, that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever, belie- belie- whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Some of you this morning may associate with the son in Jesus' story. You will recognise the shame, foolishness, brokenness in your life, and some won't. The truth is, no matter whether you feel life's good or bad, from the moment you're born, you are like a condemned building. Your life is only going one way, is what this tells us. It's perishing. And that one day through illness, choice, old age, you will end up in as fragile position as the lost son and then be gone. Death and decay will win. And others will build new condemned buildings in your place over everything that you built in life. What this passage says is that God was not happy with this situation. He's not happy with it. Actually, he loves you too much to leave you in this condemned state. So he sent Jesus, who physically took on your condemned future at the cross. Any death, any decay, any separation, any judgment you deserved and were heading for, And in one eternal offer of an embrace that stood forever, arms wide open, he exchanged that life for his life, his eternal place of sonship in God's house. Favour, freedom, righteousness, access, just like the son in the story got. Access to the father's love. Like the son in the story when he returns to his father, it is here where salvation is exchanged for condemnation, once and for all, for all who seek it. This is the good news that Jesus wants to convey about who he is and what he's come to do. Where do we, where do we land this today? I think there's two things, two things. One, I just want to speak to you parents today, who are particularly those who are getting children celebrated and that you're committing to raising him in Jesus. Your children are going to drive you mad at times. It's just a given. Every parent knows it. They're going to get lost. They're going to outright reject you. They're going to squander what you have given them. 
They're occasionally going to behave like fools. They may even bring shame on you in their lifetime and your family name. But what you're signing up for today is to love them like the father in this story. The only way to do this, I want to put to you and encourage you today, because our resources and our best intentions dry up so quickly, is by staying close to the Father. Basking in God's deep love and affection for you and remembering the massive forgiveness and undeserved mercy that you stand in and being full of him through the Holy Spirit. That's my simple encouragement as part one of what I want to land in today. As you celebrate your children, as we bring them back in, and we promise to bring them up in the Father's love. Keep close to God as you parent your children, knowing always how much he has loved you, that you might keep modelling and pouring it out over your children. Everyone else, second point would be this. Look, let us stop making the mistake about God being an authoritarian parent. It's just not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus did. It's not who he has ever shown himself to be. He has shown himself to be slow to anger and rich in love, which I cannot speak about my parenting as. He has laid down his life that we may have life in the full, given of himself at great cost that we might be restored. He is a deeply loving father who wants deeply to be allowed to love you today. And in his arms he offers an embrace, a new life, forever on the cross. My final encouragement today is just make sure, whether you've been a Christian for 30 years, or you've never heard about Christianity before, that you're responding to who God actually is, and what he offers today. Guys, I just want to finally, in finishing, say, if you have never heard about who God is before, if this is the first time you've ever heard, he's not going to just tell you off, but he's a love of a massive embrace, loving father like that. I really want to invite you to Alpha again. This is actually where I came to know about the God of love, where I came to understand, oh no, do you know what? He's not just going to roll at me because I'm a bit rubbish. (laughs) You know, he loves me and he's loved me eternally and he's risen from the dead. And it was life-changing. But it's a great place just to find out about those truths, find out whether they hold up, find out you know, whether they stand up to scrutiny, to explore them. Uh, and I tell you what, what is on offer is so great that at some point in your life, it is just foolish not to look into it. So I really want to invite you and say, you come non-judgmental, we will eat that pizza, but you'll also find out much more about what Christianity is all about.